0: Hey, Blenders. On today's show, we have Julie Taymor talking to us about the Glorias, news on a Lion King follow-up from director Barry Jenkins, and we discuss the Marvel Cinematic Universe shuffling its dates. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Plex. Plex is a streaming platform with thousands of free movies and TV shows with no subscription required. With Plex, you get access to a variety of great content that's easy to use on all of your screens, including films like Unstoppable, The Host, a great creature feature from Oscar winner Bong Joon-ho, Take Shelter, Black Dynamite, and more. But Plex isn't just movies, it's a one-stop media service that also features podcasts, music, over 100 free live TV channels, and a way to store and stream your own personal media. There are lots of choices these days when it comes to streaming media, but Plex offers something that no other streaming service does. All types of content in one place, viewable on any device you want. Go to Plex.tv to learn more and sign up. Again, that's P-L-E-X.tv. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 137 of Real Blend, a podcast that is neither light as a feather, nor stiff as a board. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I am thrilled to invite you to another episode of our weekly movie podcast on this week's show, Insert Big News, Insert Big Movie, and Insert Guest. Uh, you really, <laughs> you really, you really got to do that to are me right joined now. i each week on the show. <laughs> by kevin mccarthy of fox 5 <laughs> in washington dc we're not even trying anymore hi kev how are you well, it's, it's well just, how you doing buddy <laughs> i'm doing well uh and also jake hamilton of fox in, of insert true, name, true, name true, of, of co-host. insert name it does say intro guys in bold <laughs> it's you know uh <laughs> housekeeping for this week's episode if you guys are watching us on the youtube channel first off welcome to the visual aspect of the show uh arthur mingo who is a very dedicated uh, listener of the show is singling out jake's reactions so if you need a reason to watch us on the youtube channel uh jake reacting to things that kevin and i say is apparently usually new, you it's usually things that you say things like the fact that i will pay 60 dollars for uh, the marvel movies or I, that, things, uh, I
1: actually forget sometimes i forget because <laughs> even before we sort of switched over to doing this video format we still always used video just to kind of make the conversations a little bit more intimate, to make sure. them more lively. So we could oh, see. Yeah. So it's it's not like we started really doing anything differently. We just started recording the video. So I kind of sometimes forget
0: that that my reactions to things are uh, recorded, documented, documented for all. Time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so if you're watching us on the YouTube channel, first off, thank you. Uh, if you're listening to us on the audio stream, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe to our two channels. YouTube uh, Real blend, uh, the real Blend podcast on YouTube and real blend clips. One is the full show. One is segments that we pull out so that uh, we can isolate and you guys can share them. Of course, we're available wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to plug the real blend store as well, too, where you can get uh, merchandise for the show, t-shirts, mugs, uh, tote bags and some other really fun things. Yes, Gabe.
2: I just wanted to say while you're plugging the store, yes, to keep your eyes and ears peeled because we might have, uh, you know, down the line we might hear soon we might have some more stuff for you. Like, like Cool. Like seasonal
0: merch. Uh, yeah, like I'm not scarf? gonna say too
2: much. We'll just say keep keep <laughs> keep your eyes peeled. Like a like a,
1: a like a beanie.
0: Masks. We did do masks like to a, respond like to like
1: like real blend. Like oh,
3: like a beanie. Would be.
0: Gabe is actually wearing a beanie right now. I am one of those caps. He's not part of the the. Oh, Daenerys. You know, we should have like dog collars and uh, scarves for dogs. All of us have dogs. Why not?
1: I'll get right on that.
0: No, Jake. No. What's the difference between a
1: a scarf for dog and scarf for human? Well, they're bigger, smaller.
0: (laughs) The human ones are bigger is what I meant to say.
1: What if you're a little person with a big dog?
0: We're off the range here. CinemaBlend.com/backslash <laughs> next part of show/backslash shop. Uh, let's get right to the weekly poll. Um, so, in honor of the trial at the Chicago Seven opening, we asked you guys, "What's your favorite Aaron Sorkin screenplay?" I didn't want to put best. I wanted to isolate this for favorite. Jake, you are our resident Aaron Sorkin guy. I'm going to throw it to you. I gave them three choices: A Few Good Men. The Social Network and Steve Jobs. I also gave them other. Uh, what do you think? One for favorite Aaron Sorkin screenplay.
1: First of all, that's that's a, that's tough. Just because to, I know one of them has to be others. So that's tough that you had to pick three. Yes. Um. I think I think Social Network had to have been the 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 reigning champ.
0: That is correct. So let's go around the horn and talk which ones we would choose. Kev, of those three, which one would you choose?
3: Um. I. Th- uh, In regards to what I think the. Favorite. the
0: no, 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 yours, personally. Oh, personally, I think yes. the
3: best script he's ever written personally is Steve Jobs. Uh. I think the best movie he's ever been involved in is Social Network.
0: Okay. Jake, what's your favorite Sorkin screenplay? Is it the one do you what? have framed? Honestly,
1: I think it's Moneyball. It's interesting. As it I really... love, love, love Moneyball. I love. I, I mean, I, I agree with Kevin in that. Like, I think his best work is Social Network, which is why it's framed on my wall, and I creeped him out by showing him that.
4: <laughs> but um,
1: in terms of the movie of his that I've watched the most by far, Moneyball.
0: You're a big baseball guy too, but that we script is baseball guy. Yeah, that script is yeah. genius. I think yeah. honestly, my favorite screenplay of his is A Few Good Men. I just but that's a testament to him is that all three of us uh, said something different. It's such a tremendous, I, I will say, I do think
1: maybe, I don't know if I, if it tops, you can't handle the truth, but I are, I think arguably one of the most incredible scenes ever written, Kevin, to your point, that scene and Steve jobs where, um, uh, uh, the two of them are in a hallway. The, the whole, like, why do people think I fired you moment where it cuts back and forth between, oh, that is one. If you, if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, get on YouTube, Google Steve jobs. Why do people think I fired you? It is, one of the best things not just that he's written ever written in cinema
3: is that that or the jeff daniels scene the yeah like that's the jeff daniels the, scene f- yeah that, that scene yeah, yeah the okay. where they're in the hallway yeah, yeah. and he's saying like why like like everyone... right? yeah. yeah. is it raining right yeah 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 that's yeah.
0: it that's the same steve jobs reason, absolutely I thought they
3: were an office for some reason
0: that is one of the ones i need to revisit because i'm pretty sure i've only seen that movie one time oh dude And i know is... i loved
1: it when i saw it that was that my that might have been in my biopic blend pick
3: Oh, yeah, Steve Jobs is amazing.
1: Yeah,
0: Kev, you have an amazing story if you don't mind telling it of the amount of travel <laughs> you squeezed in. <laughs> oh, that's nuts to do the Steve Jobs show. So, at a time when we are not traveling, can you please share that story?
3: Yeah, I, I, I to this day I don't know why I did it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm... <laughs> but
1: you got Sorkin for Steve Jobs, which is awesome.
3: I'm happy I did it. It was just a little. It was a so. Uh, what Sean's referring to is there was a weekend in um, around the Steve Jobs junket that was in, it started in New York and they were doing a press junket for a movie pan, which was with Hugh Jackman. Um, not a great movie. Uh, no, was it, I wanted that went, movie to be so was good. Was that Joe, right? That's Joe, right? Wright. Joe Wright. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and it's funny. I was just wondering, I was going to fill in Joe something and Joe, Jake filled it in right away. Um, <laughs> No, but so I I got the Steve Jobs junket, which was going to be a Saturday in London. The pan junket was Friday in New York, and then Sunday was the walk in New York. So you had this book ended weekend of Friday for pan and the walk on Sunday all in New York. And then Steve Jobs randomly in the middle of the weekend in London. (laughs) So Universal Pictures invites me to Steve Jobs, but they go, we're going to give you everybody except for Steve Jobs himself, Michael Fassbender. Do you want to come to London? And I'm like looking at the talent list. And for me, it was a great list. Right. It was Sorkin and Boyle were the two that I wanted to go for. And then you had a great list of other actors. Seth Rogen was on there. Kate Winslet was on there. Kate Winslet. Um, That's great. Yeah, it was. was Right. It was a big it was a big list. So. I I accepted the junket, so I went to New York on a Thursday, saw Pan on Thursday night, did the Pan interviews Friday, flew to London Friday night, landed in London Saturday morning at 6 a.m., got off the plane, went through customs... Went to a 9 a.m. screening of Steve Jobs. And when I was at customs, the guy was like, how long are you here for? I said, 11 hours. I'll see you in 11 hours. When I went through customs in London, the guy was like waiting for me to say like two, three days. And I'm like, no, I'll be back at like 6 p.m. tonight. So I I, I got on the ground in London, got into a car, went right to the screening, saw the movie at 9 a.m., did the junket at noon, was on a flight at four, back to New York, landed at like at midnight, and then did the walk junket. The next day in new york that's
0: insanity because and anyone it, else who got that invitation would just say that's okay i'll just chill in new york for well, for that weekend mo-
1: if anything like ins- oh i get a free night in new york yeah yeah and the <laughs> most ins-
3: i actually didn't mind doing it that way because when you're in that much of a when you're in that much of a time rush time doesn't really factor into anything neither does your sleep so, like, me being on the ground in London for 12 hours, I didn't feel it, to be honest with you. I was, yeah. I was it was so, like, I literally didn't sleep. I mean, I, and I'll never forget, I went, I had Come a hotel room here, just so Come I could here. change. <laughs> like, the, the, like there was a hotel room, because they, because they book it for the, for the junket, and they yeah. already had one set aside. So I literally walked, I checked into the room for four hours, I think it was, and, and this, I'm, I'm, I'm in another country, I'm across the pond at this point. Point. Um, but to be honest with you, the four minutes to sit down or five minutes it was to sit down with Danny Boyle, because I was I think one of the part of the reasons I did it, I'll never forget my one of my really good friends, Lauren, not my wife's Lauren's best friend Lauren, sent me this article that that Danny Boyle directed the film with sixteen millimeter, thirty-five millimeter and digital. And I I was so astounded and blown away that he chose to to do the different decades with different types of film stock and digital cameras that I couldn't miss the opportunity to sit down with him. So to be honest with you I flew all the way to London to talk to him for 5 minutes about that. Oh my
0: god. See I love that for this aspect. There's a scene in this is going to be such a weird tangent. There's a scene in Lethal Weapon 4 which it's not a good movie I know you like it more than I do.
1: I like Lethal Weapon.
0: But there's a part where they're going to fight Jet Li and they're on the pier at the end of the movie and it's pouring down rain on them and the two of them decide like we're not gonna fight him. Like he's so young, he's really good, we're kinda old, and they're walking away, and then uh Riggs goes to Murdoch, but he took my gun apart in like one move. You know, how did he do that? How did he take my gun apart? And then Danny Glover turns and he goes, Yep, let's go ask him. <laughs> like you get one question in your mind, and you're <laughs> like, I gotta fly all the way to London yeah. in order to ask this one question, but you're like yeah, I guess right, I'm gonna let's fly go to London. <laughs> that, <laughs> let's go ask him. <laughs> that was
3: literally the motivation. Like, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, it, it, and like, like interviewing Aaron Sorkin in person obviously was amazing. But it was like, it was, and also I got to ask Boyle about the the train spotting toilet scene, which was another thing I got to like geek out about. So yeah. like, it was, it was worth it for me. Looking back on it, and my body now, I probably uh, would not have done that. But <laughs> I mean, it, but it was it was, and I wasn't even getting the title character. That yeah. was the that's like going to London for Iron Man and not getting
0: Robert Downey it's so Jr. So weird that he wasn't too impressed for that. That's and he, and he was
3: there. Oh no, that was the other part. He well, was I there. He was.
1: I thought he was filming.
0: No, stuff. he
3: was filming. I think what? he was. Uh, he was. He was at the press conference that morning. Right. He I'm just almost didn't do certain TV. he was. I could be wrong and misremembering that, but he was. Wasn't he making that movie, Assassin's Creed?
0: Oh, I th- maybe I thought you told me like that's that. why he wasn't. Yeah. that's why he didn't do the junkie. He
3: was still physically there. He just didn't have time to do television interviews.
0: You're saying he didn't want to do the Steve Jobs. <laughs> isn't that his isn't that his jobs right.
3: yeah right. Nothing? Is,
0: nothing. you
4: got jobs. nothing from that i got you got oh that was
0: like jake level hey gabe, you got gabe, nothing gabe cut that in the edit in, in, insert laughter <laughs> insert yeah insert what exactly insert better joke <laughs> all right well we don't have to travel as much to get amazing interviews uh these days because we've figured out uh how to work technology to our benefit, and get amazing directors like Julie Taymor, who has joined the show to discuss The Glorias, uh, the film that she has coming out now about Gloria Steinem that stars uh, Alicia Vikander and Julianne Moore, and this was a fantastic conversation. So I'm going to uh, not waste any more time and throw it to the Real Blend interview with Julie Taymor. Yeah, it's a special packaging for a DVD, and a lot of times they come with like specific artwork
4: or um i don't know
0: something i like uh, it
4: I'll, I'll take any kind of packaging anything that's real <laughs> here's the beautiful.
3: difference so this is your standard blu-ray oh there you go and i then... hate that
4: cover so much why we hate it oh, i hate it i was well, I just love, talking i love
3: about that it. movie
4: oh you know that's that so great to hear because i'm trying to convince people out there to make the ne- the sa- what do you call it? I don't want to call it Across the Universe 2, but the next one. Mm. I just got off the phone about that. Actually,
3: across the so Galaxy. Really- call it Across the Galaxy.
4: That's good. <laughs>
0: because, That's what. Well, there are so many songs you didn't use or?
4: My God, there were 200 Beatles songs. So I only use 33. Plus, okay. I'd love to take, Jim Sturgis called me up and he wants to do it in Evan's Game. And oh. I'm sure I can get the other people and I'd like to push it into the 70s. Well, a really edgy, weird times in the '70s that will be very similar to what's going to be happening in our country now, right? Let's do this. Wait, didn't Why you, aren't we doing this? Didn't everyone? I don't know. One? You got to find me. You got to find me some very daring people who are ready to do a new musical that will be really, you know, next generation. Because yeah, all people your right. age everybody I talk to loves across the universe and
3: it's amazing. You
4: got to do the next one and the Beatles stuff and Elliot will do new arrangements and it'll be incredible. And we'll have, I want to go to India. I want to go to, I want to have it be California, you know, uh, there's all all kinds of ideas to to do it, but I don't have, um, I haven't really pushed it yet, but I'm ready to. Doesn't Evan
3: Rachel Wood do Blackbird in your in your in the first one? Yeah, that's my favorite yeah. Beatles song ever. I, I think that's the moment the film like clicked for me. I was like, because I'd already loved it, and I'm like, okay, she put Blackbird in there. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's the best <laughs> Beatles yeah, it song. was
4: about it was Blackbird referring to her brother who yep. was broken, right? And uh, Elliot did a beautiful job on the arrangement. It was so haunting. So, mm. um,
3: you know, great movie. Sturgis is great in that. Yeah, I actually would love to see it across the universe. Chapter two. Okay, so you
4: write Sony and tell them you want it. I'm I'm texting Tom
3: Rothman right now. Go ahead, because he knows
4: I want to do it. They've got the, you know,
0: I guess they've got
4: the title and they've got the something, but
0: you know, whatever. Well, so we're going to dive right into the Glorias then. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Yes, yes. Happy to so do we it. are a, a geeky sort of filmmaker-driven technical podcast. And so I have to start with a scene that just when I saw it, it dropped my jaw. And I have to ask you, without giving away the magic, I don't want you to reveal any of your tricks. Um, but the tap dance scene in the barbershop which Bravo! Has, I didn't
4: know which one you were going to say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you put mirrors all over that sequence as a challenge to yourself. Guess and... what?
4: They were in the barbershop. Okay, we didn't please, put anything there.
0: Please walk me through as much as you want to, pulling okay. that shot off, because it's, it's breathtaking.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, we were in Savannah, Georgia, looking for this barbershop wow. that could be the 1940s, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or 50s. 40s, I think late 40s, and we found it in this neighborhood that you know where the houses were that's mm-hmm. supposed to look like East Toledo where Gloria grew up when she was 11, 12, 13, and it was a, a African American barbershop, and the everything was there. But then my my beautiful production designer and art director they they then put all that detail because it's mm-hmm. phenomenal detail of the period, um, but. Yeah, Rodrigo Prieto, who's the DP and his camera operators and, you know, Steadicam operator, um, they looked and there were the mirrors. And we loved the that as they were dancing, the girls were dancing, you kept getting different aspects of them. But we did know we were going to have to erase it. So it's okay. not a big deal. It was erased in, in post. And then they had to, which I think was astra- extraordinary how they put reflections in. Right. Without right, right, right. seeing the camera, because if you look at the dailies, the camera's everywhere. Is that used
3: right. is that is that do you pl- like plates? You shoot a plate of like a, of a, just a shot. Yes. At, oh yes. okay. And you have okay. to shoot
4: plates, you have to do all of that. Cool. We, but we knew it, you know, when we went in there. And I love it. I mean you you know, it just adds to the to the musicality and the drama.
0: Oh, it's fantastic. It brings so much life to that scene, which is just a wonderful moment for the character and uh, oh, and wonderful. fantastic. And Tell I love Savannah. We, we go to the
4: barber shop and I I, I think it's that little girl had never acted before, but what a tap dancer, the African-American girl. She's mm-hmm. phenomenal. And it's it's improvised. I mean, you know, we, we I let them go free. We did some rehearsals, but then I really wanted it to, I didn't want it to look like a dance number in a musical.
0: Right, right, right. It no, it doesn't musical. come
4: across. No, it doesn't it come doesn't. across that way.
3: Yeah. Good. You know, Julie, I'm interested in asking you because you, you obviously you won the Tony for directing The Lion King um, and you've worked obviously in stage and film and uh, obviously a bunch of different mediums. And I'm just interested to ask you if you were to approach the Glorias on stage, how <laughs> how would you even start that process? Like, could you imagine <laughs> doing scenes from your film, but having it play out theatrically on a stage with an audience?
4: Not really. To me, the cinema of it is really, it's very important. Going to India. I don't want to have it be stylized India. Because what you have in in a, in The Glorious is three levels of reality. You have what is the norm, the dramatic with Alicia Vikander and all these, and Bette Midler and Julianne and all these wonderful actors acting out scenes. Then you have the, um, documentary footage, mm-hmm. which is, some of it is archival, a lot of it is, which I don't even want to replace with trying to do it. You can't do the the 1963 March on Washington, but I think, what is this, you're geek, so you'll appreciate this. I had that in black and white with Martin Luther King speaking in across the universe, remember? That mm-hmm. march was there when he, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, the Vietnam vets are watching it from the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's in black and white. Mostly people have seen that march in black and white because it's stunning um, film. It's film. It's not video. Well, we were going to have to then take our contemporary actors, you know, the scenes with Mrs. Green walking and everything. uh, And I was going to say, oh, my God, if I put it into black and white, I'm actually breaking my my um, rules because the bus out of time is black and white. But we thought we were going to have to do it until my incredible, uh, archivist, this researcher found, and my actually, and my um, editor Sabine Hoffman found color footage from that era that almost nobody uses. Wow. So that's real color footage, uh, archival footage. And then what we did in post was we, first of all, we colorized it to match the color of the period. And we put, we had different layers of grain we shot in, in, in uh, video, but, um, we, with Rodrigo, we did, we, I forgot what it's called, but what, do you know what it's called? The grain?
0: Well, like to add it to the,
4: to the yeah, grain to our footage. That, to it, and and so that was
3: a question I was going to ask you actually was about that was yeah. how you did that. Yeah.
0: So, so is it, this is a scene where, um, where Julianne is walking and, and she's being interviewed by the news camera. Is that correct? Where it sort of transitions from archival footage to her on the sidewalk, because there was a moment where it sort of transitioned from archival footage to her uh, walking along on the sidewalk, and I—I I thought the transition was so smooth that it almost looked a Which one is like that?
4: Were... I'm sure, it's Julianne, because in Washington it's Alicia Vikander. Okay. And um... this was. Uh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Going later Houston, in the film. In Houston. Later in the film. Yes. Okay. So, the Houston Women's Conference, we combined really crappy video footage from the 70s. Okay. And there was no good because they they switched to video back then for the news. Okay. So, I had to make a choice. We, well, walking on the sidewalk, obviously, we shot. Mm-hmm. And Bette Midler, Bellabs are walking up into this incredible, um, actually, location we found in Savannah, Georgia, to be the convention center. This okay. And then inside the convention center, we had about 200 women. This was one of our biggest days. But that big shot with the, with the girls and their torches running down, yeah. that's a lot of CGI people. That, <laughs> is, that is a lot. And then, again, with color and grain, I, we did as close as we could to matching some of the real stuff. But then at a certain point, I just threw up my hands and I said, you know what? It doesn't matter. Right. The audience now is used to uh, documentary footage, archival footage, mixing in with the real. And it added a, a, a layer of edginess, in fact. You know, the planks when all the different women are getting up and talking about. I had shot some of that. And I opted for the real thing because at that point I thought better to do each one that was real Mm -hmm. and then come back to Bella and Gloria Steinem at the end where they hold up their arms for the ERA. Mm. Um, But okay. So that's the second level of reality, which is real reality, right? You know, the real documentary footage. The third is the surreality. And in that category, that's what people would say is more theatrical, like mm. someone would say, having four Glorias interacting with each other seems like theater. No one does it in film. Not the way I did it. It's not like right. the Bob Dylan thing. Those were all separate. Right, right, okay. right. Not at all like that one. Uh, whatever that was. That was the movie I'm of still Heath here?
3: And Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. Yeah, Those just different I'm not people. here. I'm that, not here. Yeah, that's not what we were doing. <laughs> what, what What I was trying to do was to have, you know, inner monologues that were, you know, inner ideas that were in her book, I said, well, I'm going to make them cinematic by putting them in the mouths of the actors. And then you get how a younger Gloria isn't able to talk like with that scene, she's in the taxi with Saul Bellow and um, um, Gay Talese. And he says that obnoxious statement about, you know, every year a pretty girl comes until she gets right. all right. And Gloria in her thirties had no answer to say, it was so utterly shocking that someone would, lean over her and say that when she's a journalist right. going out to, mm-hmm. to interview Bobby Kennedy. And then we pop in, in Julianne Moore, who by that time in her 40s and later had found her voice mm-hmm. and right. humor with her voice. Some mm-hmm. of us are actually becoming the men we thought we wanted to marry. <laughs> right, and right. then because I can cut to the outside of a cab and show her leaning in, It's seamless. Doing it in theater, you could do that part in theater. I just have no interest. I, I found, you know, I mean, that footage, that cab, can you believe what's behind that? I mean, you guys should appreciate this. Other people won't even notice. That is New York City in the 70s. Right, we right. right. Found, oh,
3: did you front project it or did you add it in post? Oh, no,
4: no, it's green screen. We shot okay. all the taxis oh, cool. and the bus in a studio in Savannah. Wow. Okay. With a green screen. Then we created those beautiful, much more. Um, impressionistic outdoors of the bus, right? Those are very, I didn't want them to be specific places. Mm-hmm. So you could get winter, you could get cold, you could get fields, but mm. honestly it, it, it's black and white. So we kept it very um, misty, not clear, but the real stuff, the taxi in Boston with Low Kennedy and Gloria Steinem, Alicia Vikander and Lorraine Toussaint, that is Boston in the 70s. Wow. And man, the amount of research that went into this to find it and then to be able to take out a car, put in a car, there's a lot of posts on this movie, a lot. Okay. Um, I want to build- Other surreal things, excuse me, I, I've got one more to do. Go so. ahead, please. But the other <laughs> surreal are these flights of fancy, like the tornado or the tap dancing, uh, Fred Astaire tap dancing in this Hollywood um, fantasy that the 12-year-old Gloria has, or the the conveyor belts, which is, was inspired by, I mostly got everything from one book, My Life on the Road. But then later, I, I, I remember reading in her 50s, she felt like her life was, like she was running on a, a treadmill. Mm. I thought, a treadmill? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Why don't I, I needed some Often it's for a segue, right? It's often for a segue. I need to figure out how to go from that taxi ride where she finally explodes at the racist taxi cab driver to her peaceful older self reading from her book in India. That would have been a weird leap. So I had the energy and Elliot's music is so fucking awesome there of her on these treadmills that became the highway. So we already know the motif of the highway from the bus, the yellow slash line. Mm-hmm. And the red shoes harkens to the ruby slippers. So we have the Wizard of Oz being mm. you know tapped into throughout. She talks about it in her book, The Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, there's no place like home, there's no place like home. Remember in that scene. And also the red shoes of Michael Powell's film, Mm. which is bad girl. When you get too much hubris or you have too much ambition to be a ballet star, you're going to be able, you're going to dance and you won't be able to stop. So I was kind of trying to take tropes and ideas of, you know, in the, in the tornado, the witch bitch thing, you know, the Mm. witches of, of, uh, Double double toil and trouble, Macbeth, or the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the witch from the Wizard of Oz, or the witch of Harry Potter, the little girl flying around on her broomstick. Mm. Right. So those are closer to across the universe, the kind of uh, medium animation, the collie animation for the cover of the that the guy who did that animation, the blue, beautiful collie on the cover of Miss. For the for the Miz did, cover. He did the I want you. He did the animation Ooh. of Uncle oh. Sam, and I and I said. Who did that? We gotta, i got to find that guy. He's out in <laughs> Oregon. So I, I said, here's the cover, make it dance. And I gave him images of uh, Bharatanatyam and and various other Indian dancing. And uh, we went back and forth and it was pure pleasure. I mean, I loved working on the, po- the post with the visual effects teams was hard, but it was really uh, satisfying ultimately. That's awesome. Um, I would like to
0: dig in a little bit deeper in terms of the actors and the performances because you, you singled out that you do something that most people don't do when they're doing a biopic and, and different actors are playing uh, the same character at different stages you would never dream of having them interact in the same scene. It, like you just wouldn't, it, it's rare to see it happen. Right. So a lot of times when you talk to directors who who do that, they encourage their uh, performers to not really look at the footage of what the other person is doing and, and to just focus on their era. But when you have Alicia sort of interacting with Julianne, do you want them to not like mimic each other? Do you want them to still define what their version of Gloria is? How did you approach that? They
4: were not that? to mimic each other and they wouldn't okay. have wanted to. I mm. mean, they're mostly not together. And the bus uh, shots, those ones where they're on the bus, the Greyhound bus, was the last few days of of shooting in Savannah. So they'd already etched their characters fully in their own period, time periods. We hadn't done India yet, because India, we went after Savannah, of course. But um, they both had dialect coaches, separate, So they both, and they both had the documentary footage of the real Gloria and they had the real Gloria. (laughs) She came down to my apartment and we all had meetings and they got to ask her questions and listen to her and they could call her anytime. And she was, she came, you know, we're not going to do the spoiler alert about Gloria, but she did come to the set um, uh, the last day that we were in Savannah. So you know, she was a part of this process, Gloria Steinem once. She answered anything I want. She loved what was going on. She was sort of startled that it could even happen. So, And she completely trusted the ideas. You it was know, great.
3: Julie, going off Sean's question, I'm actually interested in asking this. When you're casting people who are playing the same person at different ages, what goes into the thought process? Because the audience has to believe it, right? We have to believe that these actors are the playing the same person at different stages in their life now they don't have to look exactly like each other there has to be certain elements that are just going to be a through line and people change as they get older as you cast different people what are you looking for that's consistent through all the performances that 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 like that helps us immerse in the world and believe it
4: well i i think that they're very different actually yeah yeah and it still works, right. and I think it's because they really, she really did change as she got older. Now they they have the humor, they have the maybe the twelve year old is is less humor, hmm. but the enjoyment of wanting to be a dancer and the you know the knife throwing thing and uh, you know the, the, the little one is very cocky from time to time, <laughs> and, and uh, she adores her father, and they all had the love of of Leo. And the empathy for Ruth grew, grew. Like the 12-year-old's relationship is with her mother. The Mm. six-year-old relationship is with her father. You know, and then the 20-year-old's relationship, Alicia Vikander is back again with her father. And the Gloria that Julianne plays is disconnected. But that scene when they're all on the bus after he passes is, you know, they're they're together and not together. They each have their own look out the window at his car and remember about... Travel about travel traveling with him. So, obviously, for the two older Glorias, the hair Mm. connected them. You know, sometimes it's browner, but finally, when the streaks happen, (laughs) the Gloria Stein streaks and the aviator glasses, that's the Gloria, the visual Gloria that most people know, right? That came in her late 30s. You know, um, I put the hair at the bunnies when she goes undercover as a bunny. Uh, which wasn't necessarily the time, but I just needed it to make sense that she comes up with new hair. She mm-hmm. gives a, a fake name, Marie. So, you know, it, it makes sense that she would do something glossy at that time. And the glasses, you know, they they are really, the, the women ended up looking like Gloria, which is, is astounding <laughs> to me. Um I have to say that there was one. Does scene. does look like Gloria when you look at these pictures there. And the younger Gloria can look like Alicia. So and she had mm. dark hair. So we played with Alicia's real hair until she became, you know, goes into that further journalist when she becomes a, a real journalist.
0: I forget what scene it was, but I swear there was a moment. And because you had played around with switching them in and out of scenes, especially with the taxicab one. Where I had to almost look really closely and be like, is that Alicia or is it Julianne? Like I, I wasn't <laughs> sure which one I think that's
4: the scene where I switched them. About halfway through the movie, we have uh, Alicia being interviewed by that uh, journalist in the it TV. It was that movie. was the
0: scene. Okay, that
4: was the scene. Okay, so that they're on the set together. That's the other one besides where they were together on the set, um, in a in a studio that TV studio, and they had to have The exact same hair color, the exact same uh, clothing, boots, and position. So it was up to Julianne to mimic. That's one place where she's we we replace her and she steps right in. Okay. Um, And yeah, they're they're both supposed to be forty, about forty years old. So you have to believe it both ways. I mean, one's (laughs) younger, one's older, but they're you know they, they did it as actresses.
0: I think that's fantastic, though. It just it continues the themes really of cool. the movie that you're trying to push forward through. Speaking of continuing the themes, too, I love the scenes where Gloria would approach a boss with what seemed to be a home run idea at the yeah. time, only to be met with. You can't do that, you know, right. like, can you take the safer path? And I'm, I'm really curious because you really take big swings when you do come around to make films. How... Prevalent that attitude is in the film. Oh my god, <laughs> I
4: think a lot more films if that attitude weren't there. Really? I mean, yeah, I, I have seven projects I, I've been wanting to make for the last 10, 15 years. Some of them are newer. I'm, I'm, right when I missed calling you, I was in the middle of writing a screenplay, a new one, and I'm writing it all myself. And, um, you know, I was offered uh, money to do it, but I decided I know it's going to happen if I take the money it'll change the screenplay later. So mm. I don't. I want the money, let me finish the screenplay. If you like it, that's the movie that I wanna make. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, my things are outside of the box. This movie was, we couldn't get the money in Hollywood. Even with a best-selling book, Gloria Steinem, never been a movie about this part of history, me and Julianne more attached, you know, and then we had a script. And people wanted to do it, but for 10 million or less. Okay. Now, you don't make a movie that's 80 years, Two yeah. continents traveling. Come on, let's be realistic. It's not just a a little chick flick in a in a in a in a kitchen and a living room and bedroom. It's it has I don't know how many scenes, but a lot.
3: It's and epic a lot in of scope. People. Yeah,
4: it's epic, like like movies about Martin Luther King or mm. Winston Churchill or LBJ. Or come on, guys, men and women. This is this is a hero, a living hero. I mean, she was on. Look how she's on TV. Not she didn't talk about the movie last night. She was with Joy Reid on MSNBC talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Because hmm. who's better to talk about it than Gloria? Yeah, and when we talk about protest and what's going to happen with Roe v. Wade and and gender rights and and ERA that hasn't been passed yet, and all the things that are coming up on the chopping block, if things go the way Trump wants them to go, and the Republicans don't raise their arms up and say, wait a second, we have a democracy here. You know, mm. come on. Gloria is the living representation of that continuation of those protests. And are we moving backwards? Maybe. Mm. And do young men and women have to really think? And I mean, this movie, sadly, is incredibly, it's a clarion call. Is that the word? To say, you you know, Gloria says at the, in the, um, Women's March, pressing send is not enough. Right, right. So, I, you know, I just think. Well, I don't even know what I think. I think I went off on a tangent, right <laughs> well, there. Well,
0: no, but I, Kevin, I'm going to jump just for one second because I do want to follow up on that. I want to know this is such an inspirational film and really is a call to action. Did you fight harder to make sure that it got in front of audiences before the election took place? Yes, we did
4: because we have a wonderful distributor, Roadside Attractions, but they're film distributors, mm. and up until August, they were hoping to release it. And my producer, Lynn Hindi and Gloria Steinem and myself said, and, and then so they were actually probably not fully because they get the political clout it might have. But they were p- thinking of postponing. Okay. And, and I thought and Gloria said, no, we were planning to be on a Greyhound bus in September and October, mm. moving through the swing states, presenting this film to mm. groups women's groups, men's groups, it doesn't matter to hopefully people who don't even know we're going to be in swing states, So they hadn't necessarily to to open up this kind of what Gloria has as a talking circle, you know, Mm -hmm. like a large talking circle. Okay, so we can't do that. So we're doing as much press zooms as possible. Um, And they did. So uh, roadside attractions said, okay, okay, we'll give in, we'll go to streaming if we can. And Amazon signed on. So we're opening on the 30th. But I I said, we've got to do this and get people to register to vote. Because right now, I think it's gotten worse, much worse. We need actually a landslide. It can't even be close. Yeah. Otherwise, Biden will lose. It it just will. It'll go, you know, I mean, I don't want to say that. It's scary. I know. You know, every young person, and you're not voting for Biden. You're voting against a bad future. Yes, that's what I want people to. Don't worry about Biden. He's going to have a team of people who care about the environment, care about lesbian and gay and transgender issues, care about health for all, care about Mm. COVID. I should have said that first because really it is the main thing, and then that our economy will come back. Right. So I, you know. God, I think people really have to say, don't, uh, no voting is a vote for Trump, period. Right. No, vote, right. no voting, you're voting for Trump. Right. And don't even think about it because it's the only right we all have equally. And he's trying to take that away and make it invalid. So I do feel like this movie has definitely, this working on this for the last four or five years has made me much more conscious of how much these activists, and there's the other thing about the movie. I wanted to do it as much for Gloria as for the, Uh, women of color who actually were at the forefront of the women's movement. Mm. Flo Kennedy, Dorothy Pittman Hughes. um, You know, we have Wilma Mankiller, uh, Dolores Huerta, Bella Abzug. because back then being a Jewish woman from New York is a woman of color, frankly. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget the times. And it was the the anti-Semitism was greatly used against her. So, which may come back again here as we can see with the sort of oh, gosh. white supremacist attitude. Um, so I, I, I think that Gloria, who's a great listener, I love when the Indian woman in the bookstore calls her the India from Indian woman, uh, India from India, <laughs> Indian from India, you'll have to cut through this. When she um, says she's been called, Gloria has been called a celestial bartender.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
4: you know as I every good
0: journalist should be every good journalist needs to be a good listener a good listener
4: and that's how things change you know it's just it's so critical anyway yeah
3: you know julie i want to talk to you about your collaborators because rodrigo prieto is, is one of the greatest cinematographers of all time you go, <laughs> look at the movies he's made i mean the stuff with scorsese did argo with affleck i mean he's 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 a, he's brilliant um i want to talk to you about that relationship and specifically the choice of shooting on video digital considering this was you know there's a film aspect to the way it looks and i'm wondering the choice there not to shoot on film versus digital and also your collaboration with elliot i mean like this is you know the music you've worked on with him over the years. I know we won the Oscar for Frida. Uh, I know you're you're his partner in real life. I'm just wondering like specifically kind of like those working relationships and I guess we'll start first with Rodrigo and kind of this choice of digital versus film and then we'll end with Elliot.
4: Yeah, well, I met Rodrigo on Frida. He had just done a Mortis Peros, right? I think that was the
3: film. One of the greatest movies ever made, oh. Right. Yeah.
4: So I I gave him his first, I think American film. Mm. I think it might've been the first. Okay. And because I was shooting in Mexico, it's very important to me to work as many, with as many Mexican, um, uh, what do you call it, my, my team, you know, the key players. Yeah. So uh, Felipe Fernandez was the production designer. Actually, my costume designer was American. I just didn't quite find the person I want. But art director, all, a lot, everybody, the crew was Mexican mostly.
0: Your but costumes are gorgeous. They
4: are. But that was oh. Judy Weiss. So mm. she did a great job, but she is not Mexican. Mm. Um, and we shot everything in Mexico and I knew that he was really good with handheld, but frankly, there was, we we decided because it's about portraits to use 185 and to
3: be,
4: you know, to, to use lighting. And, uh, it was my second feature film. I've done Titus before, which she loved, and which is my favorite film, actually. Really, um, that's,
3: all, that's I like to hear that. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs>
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love Titus. Yeah, well, Not everything, but I love it. Yeah. But <laughs> but Rodrigo was he he was he was the camera operator, which he still is from time to time, even on this one. But I learned so much with him. For instance, knowing how good he was at handheld, you know, in in Amores Perros. <laughs> I was very careful about that because you don't i'm so sick of people using cam and handheld for everything without any fucking thought <laughs> you know we we set yeah. up the camera you create Im- you create scenes you create um paintings moving paintings moving pictures as they were called and you use the handheld when you want agitation Yep. right so in the scene where she and Diego get married, and then there's this big scuffle going on. Yeah, that was handheld. When there's riots, when there's, that's handheld. But I I think people get very lazy, and they just put up two or three cameras. And even when I was on, uh, so this is the first film that I've shot digitally. Well, A Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a little different, which um, Rodrigo shot for me as well, but that was a live theater production. We had four Hmm. cameras shooting, two performances live. And then we went on stage with audience that we brought in and and used handheld and steady cam and and um dollies and all kinds of stuff. Cool. So it's a combination to make okay. that, which is much better than most of those theater live from National Theater or I mean the Met, the first Met HD is my production of the magic flute. So oh. you know I've done that too. But um so Rodrigo was amazing. And then, you know, I had Kim Jennings, uh, who was the production designer. She'd worked for years with Mark Friedberg, who had done Across the Universe and The Tempest. And she worked on both of those in the art department, either art directing or in the art department. And I did ask Mark to do this because I love working with him. And I'm glad he said no, that he was unavailable because I really did also need to really try and get women in these positions. And yes. he said, you, Kim, she's never had the full out. I said, yes, that's great. <laughs> and she, I couldn't, it couldn't have been better actually because it's her first, she worked her ass off. She made a lookbook this thick, you know, like a, a foot high yeah. and uh, she just did a phenomenal job. You know, the scene on the pier, Ocean Beach Pier, that's completely constructed. That's a set.
3: Wow. Exactly, no Gloria said
4: that looks exactly like the real one. Oh my so gosh. We, we actually built that and, and those the house and the pier are in totally different locations. So that's oh, all done, wow. you know, through the magic of post, uh, connecting them.
0: That's incredible. You know,
4: and you have to do, you know, where's the camera? Yeah. How do you pull the cars to go from there to the next scene? And then I've I worked with Sandy Powell before who has also done all of Scorsese's and Sandy did The Tempest for me. So, Sandy, I said, Sandy, this is going to be much more low budget than Scorsese. You're spoiled. You're not going to be able to do this. You know, costumes in 80 years. And she said, but it's women. And for Scorsese, it's lots of suits. You know, I just get like two or three women. So I want to do this. And, of course, she did a phenomenal job. And my editor is somebody new for me, Sabine Hoffman. So she lives in New York. I had never worked with her. And I, I started out looking for a, a female editor because I had always had female editors. I mean, mm. my editor, uh, my great long term editor and, and friend was Francoise Bonon, who mm. passed away sadly. And, uh, and so, you know, and she had done The Tempest, um, Titus, Frida, Across the Universe. Mm. Mm. So it was very scary to have somebody new, but Sabine was phenomenal.
0: Sure, that relationship is so close.
4: Yeah, to work it's very, on. very close. So I was sure. really happy. So we do have a lot of women in key positions, which is amazing. And our producers are all women.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Oh, and then also um, just on Elliot, real fast before. Uh, just, oh God, uh, yeah, geez, sorry. My
4: <laughs> porn, He's right there in the kitchen. You know? <laughs> uh, if you wanted to come out, he just finished. Uh, he just finished, and I guess I guess he just finished. He was finishing last night at eight in the morning or this morning. Um, the score to be able to be uh, uh, gettable on, online. Oh, oh cool. fantastic. And it's beautiful. It won't be the songs because those are too expensive. Yeah, it's right. his score and it's stunning. So yeah, Elliot is my, you know, he's the go-to guy for me because I think he can do anything. Mm. You know, whether he does Batman or um, Alien 3 or Butcher Boy or Drugstore Cowboy or Frida or Titus and all my films, I would, wouldn't go to anybody else. Mm. Uh, and across the universe, he did 90 percent, 80 percent, I would say, of the arrangements and the score. Oh, so wow. he's the dominant person who did those, like your favorite Blackbird or yeah. you know how he really <laughs> reduced. Um, I want to hold your hand, how, how he slowed it down and oh, really I love that made moment. It. So the ones that don't at all sound like the Beatles are his, you know, I mean, oh, they're, cool. they're all the cool arrangements. Yeah. That's amazing. That's
0: awesome. Um, we are out of time, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. we, we burned through all of our time, but we thank you so much for joining us. And obviously we're sending everybody to go see The Glorias. And, oh, great. And, uh, great. So glad. Thank it. you guys. So, Wonderful. We really appreciate your time, Good. Ms. Tamar. We'll talk bye to you bye. soon. Bye. It was so much fun to talk to Julie Taylor. She is a genius and uh, has amazing credits to her name. We're going to talk about The Glorias a little bit later in the show. So stay tuned for our reactions to that movie. Let's get to this week's talking points. We have a running joke now on the show that every single time we record, the next day, uh, major news tends to break. And in this case, it was... We spent 11 minutes on last week's episode talking about whether Black Widow should go to Disney Plus and how much people would pay for it. And and this is what they should do. I even had the greatest uh, slogan of Black, Black, Widow, Black, Black Widow friday Black Friday. Yeah, exactly. Come on. And, uh, and instead they punted it to next what May. A so, what a waste. What uh, waste. No MCU films in 2020. They are pushing the entire slate back, which means that the next Marvel movie that we will get is Black Widow in May of 2021, again, providing that everything stays on track. That pushed Shang-Chi back from uh, May to July, and that pushed The Eternals, which was a November movie, to February to following November. So everything's getting shifted back. Um, I know that I'm King Marvel here. Do you guys have a, a, a an opinion about, about this, or doesn't feel like that bad waiting for it.
1: Uh, You know, I'm fine. You're fine. To me, it almost falls into that uh, Star Wars camp where it's like, you know, make me make me miss you a little bit. And and honestly, if there were a moment to take a break and let us breathe and let us catch our breath, like, is it now the time? Like we they didn't start like like in game and Spider-Man kind of wrapped up this huge epic story. They haven't got it started on the on the next phase yet. Like there could not be a better time to break, push everything back, and just let us like chill for a second. Like I'm perfectly fine now. If this had happened, like how crazy would the world be going if it were in game
0: that they were pushing yeah. back? Oh, I know, I know. They extremely lucked out in terms of where yeah. the break the break fell. So, so like, I'm, yeah.
1: In the, in the same, how do you feel? Like I, I always say that like. Like, make me miss Star Wars. Like, like give me a few years of no Star Wars. How do you feel about having oh, to wait a year
0: before Marvel? I really miss it. And I really, um, with all due respect to everyone who's involved with Black Widow, I don't want that to be the movie that kicks off the next phase. I wish they were starting <laughs> with fresh and new. I, I wish it was Shang-Chi. I wish it was Eternals. I wish it was something else. Which is part of the reason why I still stand by the fact that Black Widow should have just put, been put on Disney+. Plus. Let people see it and let them start with fresh and new movies.
3: Sean, uh, how do how do they decide what's going to start their phases? So w- far, wasn't Far From Home the start of the uh, of, of the phase? Uh, what no, what that was which the Spider Man?
0: That was definitely the end of Phase end. So yeah. why, Three. Yes. So why
3: was End Game not the end of Phase Three? Well, so question. far
0: they haven't ended with a. a they, you would think they'd want to end with an Avengers film, which they did end Phase One with an Avengers film. But then phase two ended with an Ant-Man film, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they kind of looked at it as like a palate cleanse after a heavy movie. You know, let's drop a big Avengers movie and then we'll Mm -hmm. give you something light to sort of wipe the slate clean. Um, But now that that was back when they didn't even really think of them as like they were thought of as phases. But there wasn't like a narrative thread behind all the phases. The Infinity Saga is without a doubt the closure of the Infinity Saga. And they kind of wanted Far From Home to become the next... Like, this is still buttoning up everybody dealing with what happened after the snap kind of thing. Yeah, a nice little epilogue, kind of. It was an an epilogue of sorts, for sure. Uh, And then you would assume Black Widow would have kicked everything off. Again, strange... Well, I honestly think it was supposed to be Guardians of the Galaxy 3. That was supposed to be the next launch, which is why Thor left with the Guardians at the end of Endgame. Uh, That movie was supposed to be down for May of 2021, I want to believe. And then James Gunn got fired... And then that was the first thing that sent everything into a wrench. That moved Black Widow up when that movie got shifted. And so they would have been on a different path as it is anyway. So what we will get is WandaVision uh, by the end of this year. So you'll get a TV show. But then I wish they had a February movie. I really do. And who knows what February is going to look like? I mean, you know, everyone keeps saying, oh, 2021, but it's not going to be immediate. So all that stuff got pushed back. That's where we're at, the Marvel movies.
3: Why do you think West Side
1: Story moved a year? God.
0: I don't know. Uh, does it? Well, do you think because he just wants that Christmas slot, he wants the yeah, December I, I slot? Yeah, I think
1: it's. I think I don't think it's a matter of it of it not being done because I think if Spielberg wants people to work on stuff from home or he wants to work on stuff from home, I think he can. I think they re- they realize it's not coming out this year, and he wants to be in in the Oscar race next year. So like in theory, like it could be ready for summer. I'm sure of next year, but I think they they just went. Ah, eh, we'll just push it back a year.
3: But with the new with the new Oscar regulations, you guys saw that they uh, Cherry is it was bought for 40 million mm-hmm. by Apple and that movie can compete in next year's Academy Awards because it's going to be coming out with what, what's the time frame again?
1: April. And yes. uh, I thought it was end of February. Uh, oh, the, the show's in
0: April. The, show the, is the in April.
1: El- eligibility is through end of February. So that means Cherry would possibly
3: come out January or February. Game. Okay. Theoretically.
2: Yeah, I was going to note something else to previously talking about the release date. Oh. Uh, I think you're right that it's it's an awards movie and they want to be in that traditional awards slot. But also in the Heights, if, if this is correct, what I'm in, finding in here, and I never know these days with release dates. It's summer release. Um, it's set for June of 2021. Yeah. So I imagine they want to get some distance from okay, the I, other. I have, I have a question. Musical. and I'm not
1: obviously like by no means am I ever the person that would doubt Spielberg. But like. I want to talk about like Oscar hopes for West Side Story. Like has a movie that won best picture ever been remade to go on and win best picture again?
0: No, not yet. Not that I'm aware of.
1: Um,
0: I don't
2: know if it's I don't know if it's best picture, but I think it's the sort of thing where um it wants Academy to be voters, Academy voters are going to be excited about Spielberg remaking a classic sure. movie and they're you know, yeah. what if they get five technical awards? I think sure. it's probably still it's like a star
3: film. is born. A star is born was a phenomenal film, but it didn't win because it was it was a it was like the fourth remake. I, I, yeah. I and again, I don't know that for sure, but I do think that star is born was not hated on, but I think it was looked at differently. Be, like uh, that's kind of why I felt bad about what happened to that film, because I think what Bradley Cooper made was so special and it just happened to be that it was the fourth, whatever, remake of, yeah. of a classic story. So I think that actually counted against it. The interesting thing here, like I think what Gabe is saying with Spielberg involved, that does raise it, obviously, the bar. But The Post, for example, like I thought that was going to be a gigantic Oscar film. Um, and I don't I don't remember its nominations. I'm sure it got Best Picture nomination. I don't know if did Spielberg. Get I, don't, director? I don't even think don't, Spielberg
1: got nominated. I don't think, I think he so. no. No.
3: And, I, and I so I'm starting to wonder um how much weight goes into a name being behind a film now in regards to the Oscars. And, you know, I, I think the Oscars want to, I don't know. I mean, West side story has a lot going for it in regards to Spielberg's name being on it. But I, do fear that it will again? We haven't seen it. That it might fall into that Starsborn category, where it's oh, we've seen this already. Mm-hmm. Does it really need to win? But I don't know. Yeah. It might be. Do you guys,
1: Starsborn was amazing. When so you mentioned you know the I mean? post, do you remember that? And I kind of feel bad because I actually love the post. And Sean, I think it was your number one. one the number year one that year. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember that Golden Globes joke? When he was like talking about the post, he's like, Oh, it's a Steven Spielberg movie. It's about the importance of journalism in this time. And it stars Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And someone carts out like a giant cart full of Golden Globes. And he goes, like, No, 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 not yet, not yet. The, the <laughs> right. joke being that it was going to win everything. Right? And it yeah. ended up winning nothing. I know. Well, that. And
0: didn't stars Born win one Oscar uh, for song, right? Definitely. Yeah. It definitely won it, song. Like,
3: it won like no Oscars, like, like in the sense of like, uh, but again, to Jake's point, it's like the movies that you always assume Oscar. Are gonna, yeah. I, and but I, I do genuinely. And again, I'm, I, I know that Bradley Cooper is probably not hurting about this at this point because he's making PTA's new movie. And I'm sure he's fine. But I think that film was unfairly judged. Probably. Sure. If that makes sense.
0: But I can honestly see West Side Story getting like 10 nominations easily with like a bunch of technicals and, you know, cinematography and things like that. But maybe not, maybe go like 10 noms, no wins or something like that. I can already see the New York
3: Times article like. (laughs) <laughs> 10 uh, Oscar nominated 10 including best picture and best actor and like and then
0: oh yeah. and it's I mean, absolutely going to land on every like every the, top um, 10
3: list yeah, NPR yeah, yeah. yeah
0: all those lists are going to put it on it's uh, national border review and all that stuff uh, the post got two Oscar nominations do you guys remember what they were Meryl Streep and Meryl Streep
2: Meryl Streep in picture yes I am I am curious before we do eventually move on F- Ooh, framing on. this around in in the heights we're not done talking heights, about the I'm post curious. yet <laughs> no we're talking we're talking about um uh, uh we we're talking about that i'm curious if in the heights has the ability to because it's a fresh musical it's based on an on a uh lin-manuel uh, uh, miranda
0: has that it's based on it?
2: lin-manuel miranda he's producing it like i think in the heights is also an oscar movie does that have the chance to come in and Go toe to toe with it with all those same nominations, but win because it has the benefit of being
1: this fresh new thing. I uh, feel like if In the Heights were a legit Oscar contender, it would not be coming out in the summer. It doesn't, it seems like a summery, mm-hmm. fun musical, but doesn't seem like it has like the weight or the prestige to go See, the distance. I don't know the In the Heights
3: story, but I do think it's a, it's a weighty in story. I, I, th- I think yeah. there's a, uh, I think there's like some serious themes, and I, I don't think it's as like, I don't think it's a jokey. Okay. Type of uh, musical. I've never seen In the Heights, Haven't but either. knowing Lynn Manuel Miranda's work, I have a feeling it's gonna. But, I, but to Jake's point, though, I think In the Heights seemed just based on the trailer, it has a summer feel to it. Yeah, it seems summer. Feels... And also, like
1: we we know that uh, that Oscar voters can't remember past the last time they saw like X, like insert yeah. X, and they're not gonna remember both West Side Story and In the Heights. They're gonna they're, they're not gonna put they're not gonna vote for two musicals. So which one so, are they gonna vote for? They're gonna vote for the Spielberg one that just came out that they can brag about having seen before everyone else. <laughs> yeah, it's the
3: last thing on their mind. <laughs> Tell me I'm uh, wrong. I'll, you know about. wrong? Yeah, right. You're right. Man. No, he, Ear herbs that right. It's always like that. Like, but then you have like the outliers which end up like gaining momentum in February or March, like a like a Get Out or sure. Um. Oh, by the way, I know we always joke about missing news and then our show ending. So I'm just gonna go ahead and read this because I just saw it. So the Ooh, did you guys what? see the Borat? Did you guys see the Borat sequel news?
0: No. I know they they want it out before the election, don't they?
3: Yeah. Well, because the title is about Mike Pence yeah so amazon uh this is i'll give deadline credit uh Bor- it says borat sequel acquired by amazon studios sasha baron cohen film will bow on prime video right before the election day oh, <laughs> oh that's amazing that's
0: actually pretty sweet yeah. <laughs> I would really like to- what do you mean it's about mike pence i didn't hear this at all i don't no, no, know the title story.
1: hold on the, 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 let me read the title borat it just, it just says borat 2 uh, uh, no it has an official title you remember how the first one had that oh, really I long see. title
3: it- wait the first one was called borat cultural learnings of america for making benefit of yes. glorious nations of kazakhstan
1: uh, but yeah, this one is called one. uh are you ready for it sure please borat gift of pornographic monkey to vice premier michael <laughs> pence to make benefit recently diminished nation of kazakhstan <laughs> is that real Yeah, I'll read that again. Why would Deadline
3: not have that in their their article? Borat,
1: gift of pornographic monkey to Vice Premier Michael Pence to make benefit (laughs) recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan.
0: Oh my God, I want to see this so bad. (laughs) Dude, no, you don't get to say that. Because when when
1: I texted you guys, we're getting a Borat sequel. Didn't you reply back like, meh, like, who cares? I think I did. Yes, you did. And I I I said something like, who hurt
0: you? Oh, and then I sent a picture of the two naked guys wrestling. <laughs> yes, yeah. So you don't get to, you don't get to laugh at this movie. Well, I've changed. I Hope
1: my you mind. sit in silence. I've no, you don't get my, to change your mind on this show. I this show is my, concrete. Everything is set in
3: stone. I mean, that's smart. Oh yeah, Amazon Prime. I mean, time to the. Uh, I'm reading the articles now. I Jake, I'm not seeing that title anywhere in any of these articles. It's Are you that's, sure the that's real.
0: Yeah. If it's not, I, it should be. How yeah. about that?
3: I'm seeing it
2: everywhere. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show.
0: All right, well, Uh, while those guys look into that, let's shift into something that's deeply disturbing to me. Barry Jenkins is going to be directing a Lion King <laughs> follow-up okay so we ran uh that it was a sequel i got called by the studio for a correction that it's not a sequel it is a follow-up so i don't quite Which, know- by
3: the way is not your fault and i want to give sean credit because we we get news so quickly barry jenkins's tweet says sequel it does
2: yes the does director really?
3: of the film says sequel yes. on his twitter I saw the hollywood
2: reporter report prequel prequel if you go like, to their their article said prequel <laughs> i was so confused
3: so here's here's barry jenkins's tweet he says this yes this and mm-hmm. then i don't know if he just copied the title from deadline but his tweet says the lion king sequel set with moonlight director barry jenkins to helm for walt disney studios all right
0: well neither here nor there whether it's a sequel or a follow-up i'm i'm less concerned about that than i am a the fact that they are staying in this world um and b the barry jenkins is doing it um and listen Barry Jenkins can choose to do whatever he wants to do. I know we make this argument a lot of times that you don't want to see a filmmaker get swept up into a franchise machine or or do a big budget movie. Um, Barry Jenkins, in particular, seems to be one of these people with a very clear, defined voice who has the ability to tell really strong stories uh, in the African-American community or in any community that he chooses to. Uh, And I would I would love to see three original Barry Jenkins movies with the budget he's going to get for The Lion King. So that's disheartening to me.
3: But here's the interesting thing about it. So when you're a filmmaker who primarily works in smaller, independent type of films, Mm -hmm. If Beale Street Could Talk, Moonlight, sometimes you need the larger picture clearly to, to, to then make your, so look at Guy Ritchie, for example, Guy mm-hmm. Ritchie is a great example. You do Aladdin, then you get to do your gentleman movie. You know okay. what I mean? Like, and, and I think, I don't think that that's what Barry Jenkins thought process is. I just, I just based on what I can understand. I mean, Beale street did not do well in right. theaters, right? Uh, Moonlight won best picture, but I don't think it made more than 30 million worldwide. Right. Um, and again, And that doesn't speak to the quality of the film. I mean, Aladdin made a billion dollars doesn't mean it's a great movie. You know what I mean? Sure. I think I do think, though, that maybe and again, this is just completely guessing that Jenkins needs some type of bigger production around him to. do, And if he wants to continue working in the indie scene. Now, that being said, Lion King has a lot of themes in it that I think Barry Jenkins will 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 be able to explore. And I think that Barry Jenkins is one of the. Best filmmakers working today. I think Beale Street was an absolute genius film. I mean that the music in that film was absolutely incredible. Um, but I, but I, so I wonder if here. Here's what I'm trying to get at. Guy Ritchie's voice was nowhere to be found in Aladdin.
0: Correct. It wasn't
3: there. Correct. That, that was not a Guy Ritchie movie. It was. Right. It was a Disney film that just had Guy Ritchie's name on it. Correct. I, I worry in this particular instance. Whether or not Barry Jenkins' voice will come through a major production. Like, what's Favreau's voice, right? Favreau directed the Lion King remake. What's his voice? I, I think he's just a, I think he's a great director who doesn't necessarily have a spe- specific signature style to
1: him. I, I think would he's agree. Just a good I would would, would, it, would uh, it almost be like pizza with no toppings on it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> are you saying that, that he still,
1: doesn't, are you saying he doesn't have a flavor? But cheese
3: pizza is still amazing.
0: Do you know who I would compare Jon Favreau to uh, the most is Ron Howard. I think Ron Howard is a perfectly Ron
3: Howard doesn't have a necessarily. Filmmaker. Yeah, I don't think Ron
1: Howard has like Ron a, Howard like, is a hell of a lot better of a filmmaker than Jon Favreau.
3: No, but what sean is saying i don't, think howard, I did, john favreau could not make apollo 13 ron howard has a better filmography and is a better director than john favreau but i think what sean's saying is that they both have there's really uh, i guess what's ron howard's distinct voice i don't I, know I think
0: holding on to tom hanks as hard as he can
3: <laughs> i mean he's a good storyteller but
0: sure I mean, wouldn't. Was, yeah what's his
2: voice Ron Howard's whole process is he because he because he comes from an acting background. His whole process is finding a script. The right. same was when we talked about like Spielberg. His whole process is finding a script and then trying to get really talented people around him to help tell this sure. specific story. Absolutely. It's not really like oh, it needs to have this grit because I like I'm attracted to this. Like he right. he very he's very fluid in the way that he tells the stories, and it comes across as he doesn't have a distinct. They're style, just
3: I good general storytellers. Sure. I, yeah, mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day spielbergs the ron howards like there is a they're just phenomenal straightforward storytellers and that's not a bad thing they they're, they're just great at
1: telling any story in any genre but then and they're and not it, the star of the show like when ron howard right. directs a movie he's not it's, like you talk right. about it's like his style like like chris nolan is the star of a chris nolan movie exactly nolan ron howard is not the star of a ron howard movie
3: Exactly. Like Nolan and Tarantino and Scorsese and all these guys, like those filmmakers have a very distinct like that's part of the reason why I was so taken back by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at first, because it wasn't normally what I perceive Quentin Tarantino's voice to sound like. Right. And so that was a bit jarring. So going back to the full circle, back to Barry Jenkins here, Um, I, 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 I worry that his voice will not be there. Okay, but. Considering who Barry Jenkins is, that he has a Best Picture under his belt, and that I guarantee you he probably went to the table with, if you're, if we're gonna do this, I need to, le- I need you to let me do X, Y, and Z. And I don't know what Guy Ritchie's deal was with Aladdin, but that movie could have been directed by McG for all I knew. It did not feel 100%. like a Guy Ritchie movie, okay. so I, I, I guess I just hope that Barry's style comes through.
0: Then today, right now, I'm gonna say to you guys that if on one side of the spectrum is what Ryan Coogler was able to bring to black Panther and the other side of the spectrum is what Guy Ritchie was able to bring to Aladdin. Where is Barry Jenkins going to fall in this interpretation of Lion King?
1: I would like to think that Jenkins doesn't take this movie unless he can approach it with, right. With the same um, focus and respect for the continent of Africa that Ryan Coogler right. did with black Panther. I
3: wonder if he I came to them with that an
0: idea. I wonder if he had an I, idea and came to them.
1: That's what
3: I wonder too. But like, Kugler is a great example to bring up here because Black Panther is that perfect middle ground of a director's style mixed in with the gigantic element of what a studio picture is going to be, right? Yeah. So like, if you look at Fruitvale Station, which is an absolute masterpiece, Creed, his budgets got bigger, but his but what he wanted to say in each movie stayed the same. Like his 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 through line to each film got out there. Black Panther is a two hundred million dollar Marvel film. I wouldn't necessarily say, "Oh, I felt Ryan Coogler's voice," but I felt like I was watching a
1: Ryan Coogler movie. Well, and also that, he had something sense. to say. Like, he, it, it's also a love right. letter to a culture. Right. right. And, and exactly. I do Based on what I've read so far about, you know, and and I am very well documented about my hatred of of uh, John Favreau's Lion King on the show. But I will say the one thing that sort of like perked my interest is that it sort of sounds like he wants his sequel. To be like a love letter to a to to a people to a to a culture to 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 yeah. Africa, okay. and that's what intrigues me. And and it, honestly, if that's the angle that he's approaching it, then that makes me go, oh, yeah. that's awesome, cool. That's like like if you're not just gonna like if you're telling me this isn't gonna be like Simba's Pride, which is Lion King two, um, one 1.5. point uh, yeah. Excuse me, God, who what what am I doing? It's not even a full sequel. <laughs> but uh, then, 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 I, then, okay, then I'm in. Like, if that, if that's what you're looking to do, like the fact that I heard that, and we want this to be the Godfather Part Two of well, Lion King that's movies,
0: ridiculous. Stop. That's what I'm I mean, and,
1: and, and that, and that because they're saying that they want it to be both Structure. a flashback to Mufasa's origin story, just sure. like like a uh, uh, Vito, and then also a continuation of Simba's story. Um, uh, yeah. But but, the, but the, the 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 idea of telling a love letter to Africa is what makes me go. Okay, Barry Jenkins, you do you, man. Yeah, I mean that sounds
3: great to me. But I guess the problem is for me, it, like everything you just said is the movie I want to see. But are we going to get that film? And I, and I think when when Guy Ritchie was announced for Aladdin, I was like, oh man, this is going to be like live yeah, stock I and think snatch Guy, and like yeah. you know. I I I just I was expecting more of his editing, more of his tone, more of Guy Ritchie. So I think with uh, what's the gentleman who scores Barry's movies, Nicholas Britell. Um, uh, yeah, I believe so. A phenomenal composer. He, I know he, he, he did Beale Street. He did Moonlight. If I'm batching the name, I apologize. Um, but he's an incredible composer. Um, and I saw a tweet today that was, uh, they were talking about cause Zimmer did Lion King, right? The, the, he also, didn't Zimmer also do the remake or the, the, the live action. I think Zimmer was still involved, even though I it was his music was. from the first one. I think so. Um, so I, you know, I think. With Barry Jenkins, and it's so funny, like, if I saw something come across my timeline the day that said, we're making a Lion King sequel prequel, and it's coming out in 2022, I would have I com- immediately, like, rolled my eyes, but it was the Barry Jenkins part of it that really kind of hooked me, because this guy is an, this guy, I don't think he's made a movie over $10 million, I don't know how much the budgets were for Beale Street or Moonlight, but they weren't expensive. I was no. just
2: looking, Beale Street, uh, what he Moonlight was four, according to Box Office Mojo, Moonlight was $4 million for Beale Street. They gave him 12.
3: Right. So you're talking about taking on potentially, what do you think it's going to be like $200 million project? Probably. Yeah. I mean, how yeah. much was the first yeah. line? I mean, yeah. so yeah. if and, and if you're looking at elevations of filmmakers, I mean, Guy Ritchie's most expensive film prior to that must have been the Sherlock Holmes film. Yeah. So he actually had a... a, a um, so but if you look at Ryan Coogler, for example, Fruitvale probably cost less than 3 or $4 million, I don't know for sure. sure. Creed... Was a ju- was a step up, Probably and like then once 60, he did 65. Creed, Creed was the one that made me. Oh, he could definitely do Black Panther if he could pull off Creed. I just don't. I, I, d- does Barry need another mid-budget
0: film first? I mean, maybe that's what it is. Maybe he just felt, truly felt like he wanted to challenge himself and take on you know the big money, uh, huge production type thing. I don't know. We'll see. Do you we'll do, see do you think that goes. they're going to have to hire
1: um, writers that know how to do something other than copy paste? <laughs> I, I know. I know, I know I that, I know that like, was a
0: tough skill on the first one. I assume they would have to do that. Yes. So,
1: so the budget might be even more than.
2: Uh, I'll just mention this because it's it's inspiring. Fruitville Station cost nine hundred thousand dollars. Wow, nine hundred thousand dollars for
3: Fruitville Station. It's a masterpiece, Incredible. and it's literally one of the greatest movies ever made. Wow, it's such a good movie. I'll, I I I will never forget. You know, you you always remember where you are when you see a certain film. Lauren and I were at the Angelica in Fairfax and I remember we were sitting in the, the, the bottom right of the stadium seating and we just cried through the whole credits, mm. the whole ending credits. We just couldn't believe what we just experienced and I like... I still think that might be the greatest thing Michael B. Jordan's ever done. Like he, I mean, I mean, I love him in black Panther, but that performance, like he became Oscar. Yeah. He was that he was, he was that he was him. And he, don't and forget, he, and he he's he, also and great he, in
1: Friday night lights. If you've never yeah, seen Friday night lights, but you know, fruit
3: And I'll say the last thing I'll say on this. I don't mean to go off on a tangent. Fruitvale was one of the first, one of the, one of the few experiences I've ever had where I felt like I got to meet somebody who was no longer living. Like I, I felt mm. like I, I, I felt like I actually met Oscar. The, the mm-hmm. I, I feel like I got to experience his life just for the brief period that we had in that movie. Michael B. Jordan brought him to life, and I think that was a really powerful thing.
0: I want to apologize to Daniel Day Lewis if he's listening to this podcast uh, for his Lincoln portrayal. <laughs> One single tear is going down his cheek, saying, "Kevin, I listen, brought, I brought that president back to life for you." I think there are amazing <laughs> actors out there, no
3: question. I just, but I also, I, I also, I guess the point I was making is I didn't know. I didn't know who Oscar was before sure. watching Fruitvale Station. I Lincoln has been in my mind for years. So it was just like, this was just like, I got to meet somebody who I'd never met before and knew, didn't know a lot about,
0: basically. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, let's get to the uh, trailer reactions to the reboot for The Craft. So, um, Craft wasn't my time. Uh I'm assuming you guys have seen it a bunch. Yeah, I lo- yeah of I, course. I, I, yeah.
3: I, I like the album. I remember there was like an alternative rock album. Yeah, it's um, so
1: mid '90s. Yeah, is it really? I, what I, was okay. it like '96? So like it's it was, it's the ultimate like mid '90s. And um, who is the lead girl? Not Nev Campbell, but
3: the, the 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 she was. I thought she was gonna be a bigger star. Yeah, um, she was also
1: in uh, End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Fai- it was well, well, Faius
0: Fai- uh, uh Balk Balk. I, I, yeah, I, I feel kind like of it, vaguely remember she, her. She had
3: such a a unique like acting face that I thought we were gonna see her more often like she like she was like she's the visual of that film that I remember yeah like when I think back to the craft it's her face she um, reminds me of like yeah. a, Win-
0: a, Ren- a Winona Ryder type almost
3: yes yeah, and it, yeah what did yeah, so I'm looking at her and her filmography and she it's so she interesting did a Sandler movie
0: just, did she do a Sandler movie? Why she is did that?
3: the craft after the okay. craft she did Island of Dr Moreau. And okay. she did American History X. She was wow. in The Water Boy. There's your Sandler oh, film. Oh, you and I think, are thinking you. of two different people. Okay. Almost Famous. She played Sapphire in Almost Famous. Why? So it's, it's 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 like she consistently worked up until now. She's in a new show called Paradise City with. Um, so I, it's almost with like she's Rose. Ruined, uh, yeah, I think Axl Rose is directing it, and Slash is the star. So wait, no, in the kidding. trailer,
0: there's a photograph of her, though, isn't there? Isn't there going to be a direct connection to her? I thought that they. I thought one of the girls was holding a photograph of her character. Oh, I'm. Um, Sure. Yes, I, I, in the I,
3: trailer, yeah. Okay. There's no way she's not going to be, they're not going to come back. So does that mean Nev Campbell's going to do both Scream 5 and The Craft within like the, or no, The Craft has already been filmed. Yeah,
1: Craft's so coming out.
3: Do you think Nev Campbell and, and the rest of the cast, I guarantee you they're in it. There's no way they're not in it, right? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, probably like, 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 like Ghostbusters style. Like, by the way, like remember the Ghostbusters showed up in Paul Feig's movie. and It was not great. I mean, oh, I it was I, I, terrible. I, I, I actually like Paul Feig's Ghostbusters, but the way that they showed up was not. It was terrible. Horrible. It was awful. Yeah, it was um, actually really so embarrassing. It was embarrassing. So yeah. I, I, I wonder if like. Nev Campbell and the cast of the craft are Hold on.
0: In case you don't remember, Dan Aykroyd played a taxi driver who actually had to deliver the line I ain't afraid of no ghosts as he drove away.
3: it was the, one of the most uncomfortable cameos I've ever seen in my entire
1: life. Like, awful. you know, they, like, he had a right to look at them and go, No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say and that. They lie.
0: asked him to do it. And they he had, said yes. And he said yes. Unfortunately. He didn't have to say yes. Yeah, they let him promote his vodka, probably. Yeah,
1: as, as he's taking a sip of, of that, out of that skull, <laughs> that crystal head that vodka he, that he's I'm, always found. From the kingdom of the crystal skull.
0: So we're on this nostalgia cycle, and apparently we're coming around to the craft. Um,. Does it look okay to you guys, judging? Yeah,
1: I mean, like horror is such like an ever-evolving entity. Yeah, and uh, you know, like what what horror looked like in the '70s is different than what it looked like in the '90s, and it's different than what it looks like now. And uh, so, I'm sort of curious to, like, I'm not expecting it to be the film that I grew up. If anything, I'm just sort of curious as to, like, obviously, like horror is sort of a reflection of like the the uh, you know a, a certain audience that's that's ingesting it. So, like, I remember the 90s craft being sort of a reflection of my generation. So I'm sure. sort of curious as to what this new craft is going to look like and thereby what is it going to say about sort of the younger generation that's that's sort of uh, ingesting horror now.
0: So that line at the end of the trailer is from the original, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. we are the weirdos. There's a lot of weirdos mm-hmm. out here. Like, that's one of those ones, like, even though I haven't seen the craft, as soon as I heard them utter that line, it was like a flashback of like, oh, yeah, I remember when that, when that line was and- a marketable <laughs> thing.
3: The director of the craft remake is like is a actress who's been in like a zillion shows. Her name really? is Zoe Lister Jones or Zoe Lister Jones. Um, she was in New Girl. Um, she was in yeah. She's like apparently. A, I was a just
2: crafting a tweet about Fawn Moscato from New Girl directing this movie. It's fantastic. Yeah, were, exactly. That's who, who it is. Fawn, Fawn Moscato. A tweet. I was crafting a tweet. Oh, I don't, what do you yeah. say? I was tweeting a tweet. What do you <laughs> say? I was writing a tweet. I don't. So okay, Gabe, this craft. is. She's only directed. Yeah, this is her. okay. I didn't mean to do that.
3: <laughs> so she did a movie in 2017 called Band Aid, and then this is her second feature film.
0: Well, let's get her on yeah. Real Blood for God's sakes. I'm down. All right. Uh, so this okay. is, a, this, is official,
3: this is officially a remake, right? Officially a remake. No, right?
0: no, no. It's a reboot. Yeah. Be-
3: okay. So IMDb says a remake of the 1996 well, the film. The yeah, Craft, that's like
2: that's... A Anybody photo can get original.
0: There's a photo of original cast member. Yeah. Right? yeah.
3: So it can't be a
2: remake in, in character from the original.
0: Disney huh. just texted me to say that it's a follow up.
3: <laughs> oh,
2: okay, okay. No, the IMDb
0: spiritual successor.
2: The, in the
3: official synopsis, like the area where you can't make edits, it says yeah. remake.
2: Hmm. Yeah, but the IMDb doesn't, is not yeah. always right.
0: All right, let's move on. We'll discuss the. Well, when is it coming? Is it like this year? October 27th. Yeah,
1: like next month. They're holding on uh, to that? It's, it's October 27th. It it's short of VOD. Oh, VOD. It's okay. going to be $20 to rent
0: and $25 to own.
1: Yep. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Which is pocket change for Mr. $60 over here. Gabe crossed this got- out,
0: but I want to briefly mention that Bill and Ted is coming to uh, DVD on November 10th. He crossed it out, Sean. He did. Did, but I- did you
3: guys see what the Kathy Lee Gifford film is doing for release? I think this is kind of, again, I don't think this should be done for all movies, but for maybe like a smaller film, they're doing like a, the Fathom event bit. Yeah. One night this week on Wednesday. Yeah. So you you can go to the theatrical experience if you want to. Then it goes to VOD Friday. I feel like you know a lot of these smaller films that might be a, a way around the theatrical window. Maybe do like a maybe you could even do like a two night fat. You know those Fathom events they do with the opera sure. and all that, sure. all those things. So you just put it out in theaters, give people the opportunity if they want to pop out on a Wednesday night seven o'clock and go see it or do it VOD it. Hey, so- I don't think all movies, but
0: this is marginally depressing and then i'll move on after this game i promise um the independent theater in south carolina by me had to shut down again um ah. solely because of no product offer yeah the, they have no movies no new movies coming and people are not turning out for the uh the retro titles so i think the regal that's by me is still open but this was a uh, redstone cinema they had two locations in south carolina and they had to close down because they um, have no movies to show, unfortunately. So, anyway, uh, that transitions us to this weekend movies, of which we have two Netflix films and one Amazon Prime film. Boy, do I miss movies going to theaters! Uh, Netflix, September thirtieth, The Boys in the Band. I don't think we've seen it. Have anyone seen it? Nothing. I have not seen no. this. No. Uh, Vampires versus the Bronx. Netflix, October 2nd. Okay, so this at least looks like an Attack the Block type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Boyega's early film with uh, Aliens in London. But neither of us have seen it. None of us have seen it yet. So uh, we'll be checking out. But The Glorious. We have seen The Glorious, And as you know, uh, we spoke to Julie Taymor earlier this week. This is coming to Amazon Prime and Video On Demand on September 30th. Uh, really clever way to get into this story. Um, I'm a little bit tired of biopics. And I think that they, I think the genre needs to be rethought when people come to them. And so that's exactly what Julie Taymor does. She attacks the life of um, political activist journalist uh, Gloria Steinem. It's one of those situations where there's so many stories that you could tell about her career and her life. This film literally covers 80 years of her life, but casts four different actresses to play her at different times and has them interact with each other throughout the movie, which alone was a fascinating concept, giving them the ability to comment to each other about what, how she's feeling in her life. Uh, she uses something called... God, I'm going to blank on the name of the... It's like the bus through time or the the bus lost in time. So everything is shot with Julie Taymor traditional colors, really vibrant colors, real vibrant pictures. Uh, for people who don't, know Julie, who don't know Julie Taymor, for God's sakes, um, she got the... Uh, was it the the Pulitzer or the Tony for directing the Lion King? Probably the Tony the Tony? Um huge. She won awards. the Tony
3: for best directing for for uh, Lion King. She brought
0: that Lion King uh, vision to the stage. If you've
1: never seen it. I feel like it sounds close so cliche to say you like the Lion King on stage, but it deserves every word of acclaim it's ever oh, received. It's unbelievable. It's yeah.
0: so visionary. And uh, I know that it's been around forever, so people have sort of taken it for granted. But when she first mm-hmm. came out with it, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, she talked a lot about across the universe in our interview with her. It's a t- fantastic adaptation. Which is one of the best adaptation. movie
1: soundtracks of all time. Like, I, I know it sounds like like blasphemous to say like, oh, I like someone else's version of a Beatles song. More. Yeah. But, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case. Yeah. But there are some incredible alternatives to some of their Evan Rachel Wood singing Blackbird. Yes. If you've never like there, there are some truly incredible covers uh, uh, of uh, Beatles songs in across the universe.
0: So throughout the glory is while she's shooting most of uh, Gloria Steinem's life in these vibrant colors and, and popping scenes, she'll return the actresses to this bus that's traveling through Gloria Steinem's life theoretically. And that's where the four of them can sort of converse about how things are going, but she shoots that in black and white And it's such a standout as opposed to everything else that you're watching. And it makes amazing parallels to what's going on uh, in our modern society and things that people are still fighting for, uh, inequalities that people are fighting for. And to that point, that's why she brought up in the interview uh, how she fought really hard to get it out on streaming service before the election happened. Um, So... uh, Unlike Borat, 2, uh, she also wants to make a statement before the election happens. That's the only thing they have in common. So check out The Glory is uh, when it comes to Amazon Prime and VOD. Alicia Vikander is phenomenal in it. She does most of the heavy lifting in it. She uh, plays that that thirty to forties for uh, thirty to fifty probably age before handing the baton off to Julianne Moore. And so any movie where Alicia Vikander is passing the baton to Julianne Moore is obviously well worth your time. And uh, The Glory is is. Certainly one of those films. So that brings us to this week's blend game. And speaking of phenomenal collaborators on film, we're going to be discussing a director of photography and noted cinematographer, Michael Chapman, who we lost recently, Um, big time collaborator of the early days of Martin Scorsese and just an unbelievable filmography over the years. You know, we've been doing directors. Sometimes we do actors, but every once in a while, uh, someone like Michael Chapman comes around contributes to some incredible films and so uh we're gonna be singling out our favorite film that he worked on so that's difficult because like he's he's done some phenomenal work Gabe I'm saying to this to you in films that I might not necessarily say are like my favorite films so that makes this a bit of a challenge from that perspective yes no
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about his work. If there's something that you say like that, cinematography speaks to me more then I say go with that because we're celebrating him. But if there's, you know, it's a movie that he helped make that you
0: loved, he's a part of that as well. The big part of it. Kev, I'll start with you then. Where did you go (laughs) when you were celebrating the life and times of Michael Chapman?
3: Well, it's it's interesting because I feel like the the obvious ones to go to are like Taxi Driver or like A Raging Bull, and sure the black the black and white and Raging Bull is just outstanding it looks incredible um still to this day um but if we're talking about favorite movies that this person's been involved in like the one i've seen the most on his list of filmography is kindergarten cop um (laughs) and and i know that sounds strange to bring that up because we're you know we're you know we're a film podcast we discuss cinematography all the time and all these amazing shots i mean taxi driver and raging bull are i feel like those are just auto those are those are automatically just yeah, but amazing i can't films. pick
0: them for favorite like taxi yeah. driver it's amazing I, yeah. but and but i'd never just pop it on to pass no, the time
1: I, i'm with well, you. Wait, wait, you wait 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 wait, but, what are we doing
0: we're, we're not yeah, picking yeah. The, they we're
1: picking his favorite work we're not like i'm not i'm not, oh, I'm not see, saying i'm thought, not like, saying Gary favorite
0: movie that he's that, like, his done. work
1: we're celebrating a cinematographer. That's the yeah.
2: emphasis on cinematography. For you sure. Can, you can,
1: yeah. Like, I'm not saying that, I didn't say that Hannibal is my favorite movie that Gary Oldman's ever been in. It's just my favorite performance of okay. his. Okay. Okay. Fair
0: enough. Yeah. I see what you're First saying. First time on the show? Well, Kev, keep going Give, with your pick, uh, though. With your I just
3: right love Kindergarten pick. Cop. Yeah, thank you. I love Kindergarten <laughs> Cop. Um, I think I think it's an incredible film. I think I think it's underrated. I mean, I think people don't really think about it from a cinematography standpoint, but I do think it's just a really well told story. And I think mm-hmm. Ivan Reitman uh, did a did a phenomenal job with that movie. And I th- I don't know. For me, it, looking at this list. That's just the one that jumped out at me. I mean, you can go through Primal Fear, Space Jam. I mean, the guy's directed or uh, DP'd some of the greatest movies in the history of cinema. Um, Do I think that Raging Bull is not as good as Kindergarten Cop? No, that's not what I'm saying. (laughs) If I'm looking at his list and I'm looking for the film that I would put on, my favorite movie that he's been involved in in that list would be Kindergarten Cop, just from a a strictly nostalgic uh, uh, realm. Jake, your pick okay. is.
1: I'm going to pick based on his cinematography. Are you best or favorite? A, my favorite okay. work of his cinematography okay. because he's a cinematographer. Yes, I'm going with Taxi Driver. Okay, and the reason I say that is just because oh. like I never knew that New York. Like mm-hmm. my New York has always been Disneyfied. You know the you know you, you get your family and you walk around Times Square and you got Broadway all over the place and you got mm-hmm. the Lion King billboard. Like that's that's the New York that I knew growing up, mm-hmm. but I felt like what he captured and the way he captured the New York of that era kind of shows this like city rotting from the inside, mm. and, but also reflect puts Travis Bickle in the frame. And that it also kind of shows that he's a man, like, <laughs> like just like, like New York is a city rotting from the inside. He's kind of like a man rotting from the inside. And just the way that he captures just the light, the way that he shoots, what could be you know a very you know we've seen a thousand different ways that or that the people have shot you know the 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 taxi sort of like you know secret sequence you know people in cars and someone driving the car. but just the way that i mean the way that he does it, even with Scorsese sitting in the back seat, just the way that he he films that it's i just think it's it's both beautiful and haunting and dirty all at the same time um and it really captures a city that has been photographed 10 billion times in cinema, but he does it. Unlike I think any other movie that ever has captured the city of New York. So I choose taxi driver because of his work as a cinematographer, which is what he is.
0: My pick is going to split the line. Gabe, I'm pivoting away from the one that I told you. Um, and I'm going to choose doc Hollywood. Uh, Cause again, when I looked at his uh, filmography, doc Hollywood stands out to me for this reason. Um, I grew up in New York not quite the taxi driver in New York that you're discussing, Jake, but not that far off from it. Uh, I was at least there during the 70s and 80s when it wasn't, you know, quite as disnified as it is. And I remember watching Doc Hollywood and having a very visceral reaction to the way that he shoots small town South, the small town South. And I think that um, there's a that's a huge part of the reason why I live in North Carolina now that I felt a um, very strong pull toward uh, the the South Carolina town that Michael J. Fox lands himself in. Uh, I looked around at New York and the hustle and bustle and and everything that comes with New York, and I thought, like, that's a better lifestyle. Uh, I would much rather be part of that sort of country, slower, Uh, atmosphere. And I realized looking at the filmography of Michael uh, Chapman, not even knowing that he, I didn't even know that he DP'd on that movie, but I can remember clear as a bell, how much that movie impacted me and made me think this is, this is going to be sound really strange too. Doc Hollywood. And one other film made me feel like, Oh my God, I can't wait to go down and see the South. Oh Uh, brother. Nope. Uh, no, no, no. Before this, this is sleeping with the enemy, Julia. Um, Julia Roberts escaping from her uh, predatory uh, husband and ends up in like a rural bumpkin South Carolina town. I actually think it was the Midwest, but they shot it in uh, Aiken, South Carolina. And I remember watching those scenes and just thinking that looks so inviting. Uh, That looks so warm and comfortable and and homey. And I can't wait to go down and coming down to North Carolina Uh, After being in D.C. for several years, that's what we found that we found that environment of if you're going to the uh, grocery store, you better get used to having a conversation with people who are uh, waiting on you, who are uh, cutting your sandwich meats or checking you out like. You're going to you're going to they're going to ask you how you are today and you better have an answer because or if you're going to a restaurant, you know, like you're not getting your food right away. It's it's going to take plenty of time because you're going to have multiple conversations with all the people through you. And it's just you slow down because that's the mood that that's uh, that permeates this area. And Doc Hollywood is a movie that introduced me to that concept. And I'm going to credit Michael Chapman for the way that he shot uh, rural North Carolina, rural South Carolina which, again, makes no sense because why Michael J. Fox was going from New York to Beverly Hills and pit stopped in South Carolina is just a classic Los Angeles screenwriter having no idea how anything happens. But it's like having no to get,
1: access to a map. We have
0: to get him to South Carolina yeah. somehow. And the way that he detours off the road is Fucking cows in the middle of the road. <laughs> God, it's it's so many I've seen bad it. Southern stereotypes, but works really really well. And you so. mentioned,
1: and this is this is a speaking of detours. You mentioned just like things that happen in the South that don't happen anywhere else. You, yeah. you know, I'm from a even before I moved to the, to the burbs of Houston, I'm from a very small town, and I brought one of my buddies there. I don't know, a couple of years ago, and he noticed something that to me, and I'm curious as to if they do it where you're at, Sean. Where when you drive by someone, you just kind of just kind of wave oh, all the time. And, and yeah, and, and I, I drove by a few people and, you know, we did the wave. And my buddy goes, do you know all those people? Yeah. And I go, no, you just you know, he goes, why? Why do all of you wave at
0: each other? And I was yeah. like, it's just it's just what you do. You just when someone drives by, you wave at them. When we're walking squirty every single night, we walk squirt after dinner. And yeah. if anyone is driving through our neighborhood, when you pass them, you just give away. Yeah. yeah. Give them the wave. Hey, okay. how you doing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that's a that's. Obviously, standard around here, and yes, would be very strange to somebody outside of the South. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. All right, audience picks: uh, Randy Bus, Evan Rook, and several others chose The Fugitive. Now, I don't imagine that they chose The Fugitive because of his cinematography in it. Right. I think they chose The Fugitive exactly. because they like The Fugitive. Exactly. They don't host the show. Well, They're Erdahl. playing the game I, I based feel on like how we've had the this game was discussion played. a thousand times. Well, we had a, a thousand and one. Aiden Erdahl said, "Taxi Driver." Uh, Stephanie DeLise went with my previous pick, which was The Lost Boys. His work on Lost Boys is unbelievably good. Uh, And again, I didn't even know he shot it until I looked at it. So um, for next week, since we're heading into October, last October, we did something where we uh, had a theme all the way throughout. And it was horror type movies and and horror themes that we branched off with. And we're going to continue that going into this October uh, as we get ready for Jake to drop the monster of all packages uh we can talk about it right you've teased yeah, it haven't course. we yeah, yeah. Jake, jake has yeah. a great package he's putting together for uh, fox 32 on 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 screen monsters and we will have plenty more to share with that as it comes together so for next week you can reach out on twitter using hashtag haunted house blend so it's oh, a cool. movie that has that's to really do cool. with a haunted house so let us know your pick using that hashtag or sending us a email to realblend.com And as you know, every single week, you can also use that email to send us a review. And this week's review comes to us from Alexis Demeza that says, The GOAT in podcasting and says, Very rarely are films, books, albums, and artwork pieces truly appreciated in their time. In many instances, they are later perceived to be the greatest depictions of their kind, usually at a much later stage. Real Blend is an example of a podcast that at this moment... May not be in on everyone's radar, however, I can most certainly guarantee that it will go down as not just a great and fascinating film television podcast, but one of the greatest podcasts to ever consume data streaming metrics during the podcast stance that we live in. Okay, let's stop for just one second and process that. Someone actually wrote that like that we don't have to believe that that's true. <laughs> I'm not convinced that it's not one of you. It's absolutely <laughs> not. It wasn't me. It could be. I can that. That's amazing that anyone would even think that, uh, let alone write in a review. Uh, and they go on to say, my only regret is that the rating metric contains me to just a five star rating for. I would easily give you gentlemen five lifetimes worth of gratitude and appreciation Sean, Jake, Kevin, Kevin's mom, and Gabe, thank you all for providing me with an escape and for letting me into your little film world. Dunkirk, with all exclamation points. That is from Alexis Demeza. Turn off, Alexa. Stop turning... My Alexa keeps turning on every single time. (laughs)
1: Dude, I just watched that movie (laughs) I was telling you about Save Yourselves. There's a whole sequence where they talk to Alexa, and (laughs) and it kept setting off my Alexa last night. You know, I was just thinking... Kevin hasn't hasn't admitted to us that his mom's written any reviews in a while. Should should we be hurt by that? Is she not? Is she just not really digging the show anymore, or she's given up Whoa. writing reviews? Or, well, <laughs> yeah,
3: you she know, she writes all the reviews still.
0: Still, <laughs> every single yeah. one of them. Yeah. Well, that was a very nice one. Can you please send her our love? That one really hit home. She might want to dial back the colorful language a little <laughs> bit.
2: Because well, she's been taking uh, what Kevin us. She's been taking creative writing classes uh-huh. and she's working them out on, on these reviews.
0: <laughs> All right. Our <laughs> next premium episode uh, is going to be uh, the first horror movies that we can remember seeing and our reactions to uh, the film genre. So if you want to subscribe to the Royal Blend Premium There is a link in the description for this podcast. And also, if you're watching us on the YouTube, it is part of the description on the YouTube channel. So um, come join us over in Premium World when you guys get a chance. In the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, and at Sean underscore O'Connell. Follow the show at Real Blend, and we will be back next week. Uh, Tara, a good friend of ours, wants me to keep doing the Bane voice at the end of each episode But I have to work on it. I don't have it down pat. So um, I'll just end this uh, episode with um, the game.